0: Welcome to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you would hear, be challenged, and encouraged by this week's teaching. Head to gospelcitynow.com for more information.
1: I'm gonna be entirely candid with you uh, this morning. You know, we started this book of Hebrews, we've been traveling through the book of Hebrews. I even told someone last week, you know, like the the coming chapters, uh, I've kinda had some anxiety about just preaching them in, in such a way that you know, not that they're hard or difficult passages the are not going to preach. They're not gonna offend necessarily, but for us to understand and to see the application therein uh is is a challenge. It's gonna be challenging and it's and it's why I would remind us that the author of Hebrews a couple of weeks ago, he even stopped his own argument and said, You don't understand these things because you're spiritually immature. You're still drinking milk. You should be drinking meat. And I would just I would just nudge us and encourage us to kind of Buckle in a little bit and, and because the next couple of chapters now we're going to preach uh chapter seven so this week and next week and then we'll hit uh uh Easter and we'll preach uh in in uh, I believe it's first Peter for a couple of weeks and then we'll come back uh to Hebrews 8 and 9 and and uh before the summer so so we got some breaks in here but I want to push us to kind of settle in and and, and really focus in on what we're what 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 the Hebrews is trying to tell us? Now I'd also tell you this. Um, you know, I, I I even said last Sunday to someone I, they were asking about it, and I kind of shared my angst about uh, preaching this passage and where we're going to go. And then God just kind of hit me over the head this week, and I, 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 in such a way that I, it went from like what you know how are we going to do this? Because we've been talking about Melchizedek already. How many things can we say about Melchizedek uh, to the point to where God said. Um, God impressed upon me was like, "Hey, man, listen, this is probably going to be the best message of the year. Um, it, it, it certainly, if we would get the message therein, it has great power for us uh, to worship God in a greater way, to see Him in a in a greater way." And so, God kind of knocked me over the head with that and really made this a sweet deal. Now, I want to give you some uh, some pre- A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that Jesus is of the priestly order of Melchizedek. If you remember, the Old Testament priest line came from the Levites or Aaron and uh, and you had to be from 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 the Le- Levitical, the Levite tribe to be a priest, you had to come from Aaron uh to to be a high priest and uh but Jesus was none of those things, right? And we, we remember, we look back, if you, if you missed it, you can watch it online, but that Jesus was from a higher order, a better order, the order of Melchizedek. And then we'll talk about a little bit of that today just to refresh this. But Melchizedek is an interesting fellow. Uh, he's, he's only referenced, he's only told about one time in the Old Testament, and then he's referenced a second time. And, uh, and that time is in Genesis 14. He's referenced again in Psalm 110. But, but, and then Hebrews talks about him and talks about him in such a way that, that uh, you know, basically assigns Christ's likeness to him. And so we got to figure out who this guy is. So I'm going to start off. We read this passage a, a while ago, but I'm going to read it again in Genesis 14. It be, should be on the screen, 17 through 20. Um, it just says this and this is a little context here. Abraham just went to rescue his nephew Lot. he had defeated kings, now he's returning home with all the spoils, right after his return from the defeat of Kader Laomer, the kings who were with him, uh, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheveh. Now that I had a little corny joke and said that this is how you know that God is not a Ford man because it's. Chevy. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Bad. I've been married 17 years now. I'm a dad. Those come out. Uh, all right. So that is the king's valley. Then verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemy into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, so that's the reference to Melchizedek. Now, Jesus, again, was an order, a priest from the order of Melchizedek. That's a priestly line higher than Aaron, higher than higher than Levi, and uh, because, if remember, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He's a lion from the tribe of Judah. So uh he had in order to be a priest which we know Jesus as our high priest we're going to we're going to see him today as the better high priest uh in order to be a priest uh he had to be ordained in some way and we talked about how that ordination came to him by his his father and and so it makes him from a superior priesthood that of Melchizedek is much superior to the line of Aaron and Levi. And what we're going to see specifically, that's the whole argument for the author of Hebrews today. He, he's, he's making the point that uh, Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek, which is a higher priesthood because, and we see that because Abraham paid him tithes and Melchizedek blessed him. And that's, what he, that's the whole argument he's going to make, that Melchizedek is, is greater than... Uh, the the Levitical line so much so he's going to say that Levi was in the loins of Abraham at this at this point and he's a, of a greater priesthood uh, than what we know in the Old Testament and so his whole argument is is to point to Melchizedek as a greater the greater better priestly priestly line so let's dive into the text chapter seven of Hebrews I'm almost we're going to get through verse ten and uh, but I'm going to read the first three verses first. And this is going to recap some of the story we just heard in Genesis 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, and Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, let's pause. We got to deal with who is this guy? Who is Melchizedek? Now, I'll say up front, there's a lot of argument about who he is. There's one uh, line of thinking that would say that Melchizedek is Jesus, that he is the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. The the, the theological term for this is called Christophanies. If you look in the Old Testament, there are times where God shows up in a particular way, and and we kind of identify that as the Son of God showing up uh, before He puts on flesh and dwells among us. One of those times, one of probably the easiest to spot, if you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're thrown to the furnace and King Nebuchadnezzar says it looks as if they're walking around unharmed and it looks as if there's a fourth in there that is as the Son of God. And so there are these kind of instances throughout the Old Testament where uh, there is uh, uh, an, uh, an appearance that we have labeled, we believe that to be Christ. Uh, and so there is a line of thinking that says that's who Melchizedek is, that he is Jesus, he's come on, and, and the argument you know, it's not without merit. You know, I think the text, without really kind of getting into it, almost points us in that direction because it says that he's without beginning or end. He has no mother, father. You know, he's without genealogy. And so, uh, so you know, I can see how people come to that interpretation of the reading. However, I think that interpretation should be rejected for a number of reasons. Two reasons in particular. Uh, reason one is because the author of Hebrews regularly uses typology. Now, typology is just where the the author's going to point to one thing and, and, and it is a symbol of the greater Jesus. And we see that all throughout Hebrews. That's why we name the series better, right? Because it's pointing to one thing that was that that really Jesus was better. And but but it's still pointing to him in a particular way. This is typology. There's types of Jesus, and Jesus is the anti-type. Now, a great example of this is Passover. You look at particularly the Passover lamb. When when God came through Egypt and passed over all the homes that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, this was a type of Jesus that was going to go to the cross, and his blood over us is going to allow us to escape the wrath of God similarly. So this is a type of of Jesus. But But the author of Hebrews does this a lot, that Jesus was the the greater David. David was not Jesus, but he was a type of Jesus. We can look, we can look at him and see uh, things we can learn about that Christ was to come through looking at David. Moses, you know, Jesus was the greater Moses. Jesus was the greater Joshua. Jesus was the greater high priest. We see all those things in Hebrew. So it makes sense that Jesus would, would point to Melchizedek as a type, uh, uh, you know, that he is, uh, again, Jesus is the greater Melchizedek. And and so we kind of can, can take that from, from the scriptures. Secondly, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says specifically that, that in the text, it says resembling, that he's resembling the Son of God. So I, don't, I think if he was the Son of God, he could have very clearly right there said he was the Son of God. Instead, uh, he says he resembles him instead of, instead of making the claim that he is him. right. And so I think for those reasons, it's not Jesus as a Christophany. It's not the pre. Garnet Christ, but it is a type of Jesus. Now, how? One, we've already talked about that he's both king and priest. Melchizedek was both a king and priest. He held both offices. Now, this would have been countercultural to the Hebrews. Priests couldn't be kings, kings couldn't be priests. Matter of fact, when when kings would overstep those bounds, God judged them harshly. You, you see that in, in Saul. You see that in, in several kings that they try, to, they try to get out of their lane, so to speak, and God judges them for that. So they couldn't be both. Uh, they had to be one or the other. Well, Melchizedek was both, and it was pointing to Jesus who would hold both office, offices simultaneously, that he was both king and, and priest. Uh, Aaron Priestly line of Aaron, they were only priests, not kings. Melchizedek was both because pointing to Jesus who also was both. He's a priest of the order of Melchizedek, and obviously he is uh, the king of the world. He is the king of all kings, right? This is who Jesus is. Then how else does Melchizedek point to Jesus? I think in his name. In his name it points to Jesus. And I think this is a powerful point. Uh, It says the text tells us that his name means king of righteousness. And yet, he was also the king of of Salem, which means the king of peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Who better fits that label than Jesus? So even in his name, it's pointing to Jesus as our righteousness and our peace. Now, oftentimes, when you read the scriptures, you're going to see righteousness and peace Uh, could join together, and and if you were to do a simple word search, you would see many of these um, uh, them put together, and I just want to read over you a couple. We're not going to put them on the screen here. If you want to jot them down, you can jot them down, but I just want you to hear a couple of examples of righteousness and peace married together in the scriptures. Isaiah 32, 17, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. That's a whole sweet passage right there, by the way. Psalm 85.10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace, kiss each other. Psalm 72.7, in his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound, till the moon be no more. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then lastly, Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, For they disciplined us, talking about our parents, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his heart. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Righteousness and peace in Melchizedek is a type. Christ and the gospel. Righteousness and peace are married together to the point that I would go as far to say is that you cannot have peace without righteousness you cannot have peace without righteousness we have a world that is chasing peace right we want world peace we want we want individual peace we we want whatever everybody is chasing some level of peace but it'll never be had without righteousness peace is a gift given to us by God And it only will happen by right standing with God. The only way that you're going to be at rest, at peace, is that you are at rest and at peace with the very one who created you. And the only way that you're going to have peace with the very one who created you is by walking according to his way, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him making you have right standing with God forever. That's the only way you're going to have peace. It's the only way you're going to have joy. Everything else is just counterfeits. This is the only way to have lasting, true peace, is to be justified before God. To have right standing before Him because you've trusted in the sacrifice of His Son. Now... Man cannot produce his own righteousness. God goes as far to say that even our righteousness in his presence, our own earned righteousness is like filthy rags before him. That's the best we can do. So we can't produce our own righteousness that leads to a peace. We, we can't keep enough of the Old Testament laws to make us right with God. It's only through Jesus Christ, a trusting in the righteousness that he earned And by faith, having that righteousness imputed to me, given to me, and my sin given to him. It's the only way that we can have peace. The only way that righteousness and peace kiss each other is by faith and trust in him. Now, I'll come back to the idea when we close the sermon. But let's move on. Melchizedek also resembles Christ in his origin. No beginning, no end. You know this. This doesn't. I don't believe that this means that Melchizedek didn't actually have parents. I think he was a real man. I think he had real parents. I think he was a real king of a real city. I think all those things. But but what is significant to the role of the priests, particularly for, for the Aaron uh, and Levitical lines, is that they had to prove that they they had to prove their genealogy. Right, And there are stories in Nehemiah and Ezra where there are some men who believe themselves to be of the priestly line, but with all the chaos that was happening in Israel, they couldn't find documentation. And because they couldn't find the proof that they were of that line, they weren't allowed to be priests. And so then you have Melchizedek here with no proof, no genealogy, no beginning, no end. And I think all of this is pointing, not that he's not a real person or I think he's a real person, a real king, all those kinds of things. But I think the whole point is to point to that that priestly line is greater than than Aaron and Levi and needing to prove those things with genealogy. But this is given based off of merit from God. Obviously, Jesus earned that by being the very son of God. He was ordained by his father as a priest and it was verified in his resurrection. So his priestly line is 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 greater right um now i think all this let me sum it up and then we'll kind of get into the rest of the passage i think the application is very clear here i know i've hit a lot of names and a lot of different things and you may be like well I'm, i'm lost application is here that neither aaron nor any of his descendants could claim these realities they couldn't claim to be without genealogy they couldn't claim to be without beginning or end They couldn't claim two offices, priests and king. They couldn't claim an eternal, unending priesthood. And Jesus can Why? Because he was from a different priestly line. This of Melchizedek. And it was granted to him again by his father because of the resurrection. And he's a priest forever. And in fact, not only just a priest forever, Jesus is the better high priest forever. And that's the whole point he's trying to make. Now, We're going to see that more. Let's read on. Verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute, and you can underline this if you want, verse 7, is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestors, of his ancestor, when Melchizedek met him. Okay, let's pause. Uh, f- first point I want to deal with out of that is just the we got to look at the tithes and the blessings here because it means something. Now you probably know this, but a tithe just means a tenth. You know, if you were to give a tithe, you're looking at everything that God has given you and you give a 10th of that uh, back to God. Now, under Jewish law, uh, the Jews were commanded to give a 10th of their crops, their herds, their flocks, uh, and they were to bring those tithes into the storehouse. Actually, the Old Testament tithe, if you balance it all out, because there was a tithe to that, there was a, there was a, a tithe of festivals, and then there was a, a tithe every third year to the poor, they were actually given 23%. So we're gonna put that in our... Uh, Constitution and bylaws. Uh, I just I kid, I kid. Uh, but but these are the tithes that they were getting. And they're bringing them to the storehouse and uh, for, for the 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 priests to to function in the temple for the temple to go on. Right, that's what they're doing. They're bringing the tithe into the storehouse. Uh, if their crop was uh, too much to travel with, they would just convert it to to money and bring that to the uh, to the temple. And uh, so what we see, one thing we see here is that. Tithing, an Old Testament principle, didn't originate with the Mosaic Covenant. It didn't originate with the law, right? A lot of, uh, you know, it, we see that the tithe or the principle therein uh, predated Moses and went back to Abraham. We see Abraham giving a tithe uh, to Melchizedek. Now, by Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek, he's affirming the greatness of this priest-king. He's affirming the greatness and, and, and of, this, of this priest king. He, he's, he's giving uh, uh, to this priest an act of worship to God, a tithe, until Melchizedek. And that's what a tithe is, right? Maybe you're confused on what tithing or giving is. A tithe is not an act of benevolence. It's not a giving to the needy. That's not, so, so if you give because you think, man, these people really need this, I'm gonna give it. That's not what a tithe is. A tithe is an act of worship, Given unto the one greater than you, because you simply want to worship and adore. Then that's that's what a that's what a tithe is, right? And, uh, and and so if you if you tithe, and I believe every believer should tithe, you know whether you believe in the actual Old Testament tithe carrying on or not. I do, but I think at minimum, I think that is a great practice for every believer. But, so if you tithe, you're not giving again, because all oh, poor little Gospel City needs my help, right? And you're not, you're not giving uh, because, you know, David's kids got to get fed and we got to figure that out, right? You know, you, when you give, you give unto the Lord. or you should give unto the Lord. It, it is an act of worship for you giving a gift to God as an act of sacrifice to worship his holy name. And really we should do this with all the things that we do in our life. When we sing, and I hope you sing, it, it's, a, it's a sacrifice of praise, unto God Almighty, an act of worship to the one that is greater than us. When you live a life of obedience or you live a life in service to God, it's as Romans 12 would tell us, uh, that we are living sacrifices unto God. And when we give of tithes and offerings, we are sacrificing in worship unto God. This is what we do when we give those things. We give because, not because he needs it, but we we give because he's worthy of it. And so you see that in, in what Abraham is doing. He's not, he's not giving. And by the way, this tithe that he would have given Melchizedek was a, probably a very large sum. And he gives this tithe not because Melchizedek is needy, not because he's being benevolent. He gives it as an act of worship. He's worshiping uh, God. And, and then Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And in blessing Abraham, blesses his 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 lineage to come. He, he actually blesses the line of Levi that is to come later. And I think that's what the text is, is telling us there. So, so I think all of that points to the point of the writer here, which is the inferior is blessed by the superior. The inferior is blessed by the superior. Like he, he wants his audience, the audience of the letter of Hebrews to know that the Old Testament itself has showed that the Levitical priesthood was always meant to point to something better. That, 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 you know, and remember, context is important, right? When we started this book, we said the reason he's writing this letter is because... The the audience of Hebrews is wanting to go back into the sacrificial system. Like They they were second generation Christians, but they were having a hard time seeing their sins tangibly removed for themselves. Remember, they used to see a goat killed and and my sins are on that goat. And now there's no goat. They used to slay a sheep and now there's no sheep. And so they were struggling with, maybe we should go back to killing sheep. Maybe we should go back to... I, I'm having a hard time with faith. I'm having a hard time believing that my sins are atoned for. So I want to go back to the old system. This is the context, right? And so he's writing to them and saying, listen, the sacrificial system, you would be a fool to go back to that. Why? Because all of that is pointing to the greater. All of that is pointing to Jesus, the greater sacrifice. All of that is pointing to Jesus, the greater high priest. And this is yours. This is yours to be had. That's the, that's the argument he's, he's making to them that the sacrificial system has been rendered no longer necessary because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient forever. That's what he's pointing to. So, so what? What does that mean for us? You know... 2023, Cinemark 14, Theater 2. What does that mean for us? You know, I'm not, I don't know about you, I've never been tempted to kill a goat for my sins. I haven't. Anybody? Maybe a cat, but not a goat? Don't like cats. What does this mean for us? Yeah, we're not tempted to go and go back into the sacrificial system or find a, a temple and and begin to put our sins on something. But I think we are tempted to do two things in particular in our own faith walk and journey. One, I think that we are tempted to fail to see the gravity of our own sin and the holiness of our God. And, and, and we don't realize the constant operation of our great high priests. And, and, and in so doing... We fail to properly repent. We we fail to hate sin as we should. Uh, We we fail to worship fully. We fail to understand the grace of God over our lives. Um, And and I think that's also baked into Hebrews that this comes from just apathy. Apathy that I'm Christian because I am not Muslim, I'm Christian because I prayed a prayer when I was seven, uh, but it has no daily impact on me. And, and in so doing, we, we don't see the gravity of our sin or the holiness of our God or the importance of the sacrifice of Christ. And so that's one temptation for us to kind of just be lethargic spiritually. I think the second temptation for us particularly is that we might understand the gravity of our sin and we might understand the holiness of our God, but we try to gain peace through our own attempts at righteousness. Now, we might not sacrifice a lamb, but we do a version of that, where we say, "Okay, listen, I messed up again. You know, don't, don't worry about this, Jesus. I got it. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to really, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to really just re steer." my life and don't, don't worry about, don't, Jesus, don't worry about me. I'm going to figure this out for you. And I think that's our temptation to say to our great high priest, hey, I have no need for you. Outside of salvation, please save me, but like, well, it's like daily, you know, I'll figure this out on my own. I'll work for my own righteousness. I'll, 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 you know, and, and when we do that, we just, we're not worshiping him rightly. We're not appropriately dealing with our, our, our sins, and, and uh, because we're looking for something more tangible. And like Hebrews, who are struggling with the faith idea of not laying their hands on a goat and putting it to death for the, for the remission of sins, that we struggle to believe that Christ is going to deal with our sins in a very similar way. And so if, so, we say, all right, I'll scrub extra hard this week, and that sin will be gone. And yet, 10 years later, we still haven't learned to trust him. We still haven't learned to fall upon our great high priest. We still haven't learned to take our sins to him. Now, I'm going to steal a verse uh, from next week's sermon in the And and use it in my to close um, because I, I, you know, I want us to see that we, we can't just do a list of to dos. That's a lot easier than faith. It's a lot easier than faith because we feel like we're doing something. But that's not how this works. This is a trusting in Christ. Now, let me read to you. This is Hebrews 7, verse 25. It says this, and we'll get, and we'll preach this next week. You'll see it. But it says, consequently, He is able, our high priest, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So in closing this, I I, want to give us a picture of who our high priest is. Because I, I think if we could understand this, we could understand who Jesus, our great high priest, is, it would lead to us drawing near to him as that text just said it would lead to us worshiping him with the entirety of our lives as as he as that text just said right so who is jesus first of all it says he's able to save from the uttermost which i love that text it's very hopeful like this is the text you should probably underline and point to it when someone says that I'm too far gone for God to save, we could say, you are a liar. It's not true. That is not true. Because it says, my Bible says, that he's able to save from the uttermost. Are you at the uttermost? He can save from there. What hope is that? It's incredible. That our high priest, that there is no sinner to far in their sin for God to redeem? None. What a beautiful truth. And, and how he does it, Jesus again w- was made high priest. He was the sacrificial lamb. He's the just and the justifier. He was the sacrificial lamb that was slain so that we could have our sins removed from us that the sins of the world were laid upon him and that he propitiated the wrath of God he took on himself the wrath of God the wrath that was aimed at me and those who would believe upon him he took that wrath and took it upon his on himself on the cross of Christ to remove from me the just punishment that I was due that's what our lamb the Lamb of God who laid down His life for the sins of the world, that what He has done. And He has earned for us righteousness and He has given to us peace. This is what Christ has accomplished in in the cross. This is what He's done. But notice that the verse says that He always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God. So, Not only is he our sacrificial lamb, the blood that covers us, and the wrath of God uh, passes over us because of the work that he accomplished. Not only that, but he is also interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us at the right hand of the Father. Even now, those who are in Christ are being prayed for by Christ right now at the right hand of, of God. And not only that. But first John tells us that not only is he our intercessor, but he is our when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So even now he's interceding for us at the right hand of God, but he's also advocating for us at the right hand of God because we certainly do continue on in our sin. But when we sin, Jesus is at the right hand. And, and here's what happens. Yes, we have an accuser. And that accuser says, see, David is not worth saving. He's a sinner. He, he should be cast out. And Jesus, my advocate, your advocate, our great high priest... He says, I I agree with that. He's a sinner. He deserves to be cast out. But I would have you look at the payment already paid. I would have you look at his name graven on my hands. I would have you look at his name written on my heart. For yeah, I've laid down my life so that that sinner can be a saint have life forever in Christ. We have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our high priest, our names on his hands. Now, I love, how does an individual then draw near to God? After hearing that, what else could you want? What greater love could you have Is there anything you would desire above being with your advocate? Be in the presence of your high priest. Does this truth make you want to go on sinning? Of course not. It shouldn't. Knowing that every sin is brought into the court of the justice of God, and my advocate has to stand up again oh of course not. don't want to go on sinning, and even though the sin is paid for and grace is abundant, it leads us to greater holiness and intimacy, that we rest. And the righteousness that Christ accomplished on the cross, and, and he gives to his church peace. Now, I will say that, yes, as believers, we're, this, this should move us to live differently. Now, I want to be clear here. The gospel, the gospel, hear me. The gospel is not a challenge for you to imitate Christ better. Some of you think that's what the gospel is. I'll do better. I'll work hard. I'll try to do more. That's not the gospel. It's not a challenge for you to imitate Jesus better. It is an invitation to be changed by Jesus forever. That's the gospel. He says, come, I am the great high priest. And not only am I the priest, I'm the one who laid down my life as the sacrifice. And when I stand in the presence of God and pray for mine that are my own, the ones that he has given to me, when I intercede on your behalf, not only do I intercede on your behalf, but when you sin, I'm your advocate before the Father. And it is his righteousness that washes us white as snow. It's his righteousness that gives to his children peace. It's so much easier to do a to-do list than to have faith. Let us be a church that cries out for our great God and our great High Priest, and confesses these truths regularly, daily, and moment. Let's pray together. Father, the, the, the reality of us having an advocate, a high priest who um, needed no sacrifice of his own, but was the sacrifice sufficient for all, and efficient for those who trust placed place of faith. Praise God. I mean, if we just walk out of here saying the greatest application is I'm walking in my car praising God for my sin. Though many, your mercy is more. Praise be to God Almighty the incredible gift of salvation and the incredible journey of sanctification. I pray, Father, that you would help us to hold on to these truths. For they're easy to remember while we're here on a Sunday morning. They're difficult to remember while we're dealing with shame and guilt. And I pray, Father, that you would echo the chambers of our hearts. We have a high priest, and an advocate. We have a, a righteousness and a peace given to us. May we trust in those things. Father, if there's someone here that hasn't trusted in Christ, maybe they're just, they thought Christianity was just trying to live like the example that Jesus has given us. That is a false gospel. We can't do that. That's impossible. Even if we wanted to, even if we tried, it's impossible. Live like the perfect one, impossible. But praise be to God, we have Jesus Christ, our righteousness, and our life. And if there's someone in here that hasn't trusted in Jesus, in faith, they would do that today. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We hope you found encouragement, inspiration, and biblical truth that will challenge you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the city and to the church and to see disciples who follow him wholeheartedly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. This will help us reach more people with a life-changing message of the gospel. You can also visit our website at gospelcitynow.com to learn more about our church and our ministry. Remember, the gospel is not just a message to be heard, it's to be lived. So let us be sent out this week boldly bringing hope, love, and truth to the city, and the church. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to next time.